Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I am a writer and an entrepreneur, and through decades of writing articles for magazines and newspapers and authoring books, I've wondered what makes life meaningful and what makes work worth doing. In my day job, I help schools and universities, entrepreneurs and leaders learn how to market and grow their reach. You can learn more about my company, Your People, at yourppl.com. I also am a writing coach, and I teach my signature Find Your Voice Writers Workshop, through writingworkshops.com and at makemeaning.org. I help people, organizations, and movements find their voice and gain the confidence to use it. Because everything we do means something. Why waste your moments? You are needed. You can make the world better. And by caring about the people you encounter and the tasks you take on, you get closer every day to finding your unique meaning and living life with purpose. This podcast focuses on all the many ways people make meaning in the mundane. You'll hear stories of courageous people daring to imagine a life they love. If you like what you hear, give us a review on any of the podcast platforms you find this show. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. One of the reasons I so like interviewing writers is that many have a sharp focus on the details of life and the world around us. Jacqueline Suskin is like that, as she helps people notice the details of their lives as a way of making meaning and finding purpose, which makes her the perfect guest for the Make Meaning podcast. Today, I'm so excited to speak with Jacqueline Suskin, who is a poet and educator who has been teaching workshops, writing books, and creating spontaneous poetry around the world since 2009. She has composed more than 40,000 improvisational poems with her ongoing writing project, Poem Store. Suskin is the author of seven books, including The Edge of the Continent, Volume 1 through 3, Help in the Dark Season, and Every Day is a Poem. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, The Atlantic, and Yes! Magazine. I'm also excited that Jacqueline recently relocated to Detroit, my neck of the woods. So not only do I get to welcome her onto this show, but I get to get to know her in person as a friend in the Metro Detroit area. So it's really exciting for me to be able to welcome Jacqueline Suskin to the Make Meaning Podcast. Jacqueline Suskin, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Thanks for having me. You know, I first discovered you through your course, Every Day is a Poem, when it was reissued on Common, which made me so curious about you and how you came to do this work. So I'd love to hear about your journey and when you first realized that you were a poet. Well, to tell you the truth, I've been writing poetry ever since I was a really little kid, which is a funny thing to say because not many kids are into poetry. But Mm -hmm. even as a really young child, I was writing things in these short, condensed, you know, versions with images and talking about the fox I saw in the forest or this experience I had at school. And I remember my parents being like, this is poetry. And they actually reinforced that that's what it was and that's what was happening. And so I was kind of always keen on it, even as a really little person before I knew exactly what it was to write and use language. Um, I started using language at a really young age Mm -hmm. and almost to this point where my parents were kind of like, what is going on with this kid? (laughs) Um, So I'd say it's something that I was born with, which I think makes a unique connection to it. And I think that's Mm -hmm. why I've been able to kind of keep it with me throughout my life in the way that I have. It's sort of come naturally to me, which isn't what happens to everyone with language. So I sort of feel like this ambassador of poetry or something, because obviously it's been part of my story as a human, even at the very beginning. 
That's super cool. You know, I, I have a similar story. I mean, I have a different path, but I used to tote around this little corduroy covered journal when I was a little girl and I would just sort of write little, you know, notes and poems and stories and skits. And it was like my way of making sense of the world. And I feel like that's how I make sense of things even now, this many years later. And so um, it's really cool when you can sort of tie into that, who you are at the core at such a young age, and then not have somebody sort of like um, expel it from you, just let you keep it and cherish it and really develop it as you grow older. That's really totally. Cool. Yeah. And just almost have the world ask you for it. Like, oh, you're, yeah. you're clearly in kinship with this thing that is actually very human and not everybody yeah. has this innate connection to it right off the bat that is outwardly expressed, but it is in there. And so it's yeah. almost like the few of us who knew at a young age that this was a way to connect are then asked to, you know, just usher others into it. But I do think that everybody has that. It's just not necessarily yeah. uh, something that's even, you know, celebrated or, you know, received or something like that. So to have anybody be the one who's like, oh yeah, you can actually connect to this. And I always have, this is how I have. And yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It's like, you're giving people permission to, to be who they are and be courageous in that way, because it's not, you know, the typical career path, or it's not lucrative always. And so um, people get, you know, I mean, even when parents sort of discourage kids from following creative pursuits, it's, it's, I'm sure out of a desire to, to keep them safe and, and secure. But, but when that is your inner voice, that the security rests within, I mean, that's just really where it comes from. So I'd love to hear from you how you've turned your poetry and the act of writing into an entrepreneurial endeavor. So, you know, like this course, for example, but you have retreats and other ways that you help people find meaning and purpose through writing. So take me through that journey of entrepreneurship. And, you know, I just want to hear about how it came to you and how it's evolved over time. Yeah, it's funny. I never really thought of poetry as something that would be my career. Obviously, as a child, I never thought that. And then I I did go to college and get a degree in poetry, but I was sort of taught that to be a poet in the world and be functional and successful and make a living at it, you have to be a professor. So you'd have to get your PhD and you'd have to go this academic route. And I was hundred percent not interested in that. So <laughs> I sort of thought oh, I'll get my degree and then I'll go off into the world and find things to write poems about. And I'll always write poetry, but I didn't think of it as something that would be my the way I would make a living or the way I would make money. And then in my travels, I ended up meeting a fellow poet who was like, you know, you can write poetry on the spot with a typewriter and make money doing that on the street. And this was really Oakland, California. And this is 2009. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that sounds really fun. And to me, even then it wasn't like, oh, that could be my job. It was like, oh, that sounds like a fun writing experiment. I wonder if I can do that. And Uh that project poem store Mm -hmm. Uh, where I took my typewriter into public places and wrote poems for people. They named a subject. I, you know, wrote a poem in a matter of minutes and then they paid whatever they want for it ended up being my job. And it sparked my entire career, which I've only written poetry in exchange for money for the last 12 years of my life. That's been how I've made a living for the last 12 years is writing poetry. And it all started with this experimental sort of public facing pay what you will um performance poetry which interesting it's just funny how things 
add up in life and you don't Uh look at something as the thing that will be your bread and butter. And then it ends up being that. And it's the thing that you love. And I feel really, uh, amazed by that every day. I'm never like, yeah. oh yeah, that's my job. I'm always like, I cannot <laughs> believe this is my job. <laughs> so I love I think, that. Yeah. That like awe and excitement still exists for me, you know, 12 years later, but that's how it started. That's how I was ushered into these different communities of artists and creators. And I lived in Los Angeles for six years. So I got to meet all these different people and type poems at the Hollywood farmer's market. And that's how I ended up getting into this community where I met the folks at commune and taught a class. And, you know, I've, I've written seven books and all of my book deals have all come from the people who I engage and connect with in these places of performance poetry. So it's really uh, interesting to see the progress of my career as an artist be directly connected to community. There's no way any of these things would have happened without the people who respond to my work. And then that makes the next thing happen and the next thing happen. And now here I am 12 years later, still teaching and talking about poetry and writing books. That is super cool. That is super cool. And so I, I wonder like when you first started, with your typewriter, you know, outdoors, did you think people were going to pay for poems or did you, were you surprised or did you think they'd, you know, throw a dollar your way and they threw 20 and you were like, wow, this is actually a way that it's touching people and they see value in it. Like how, how, how did the response come across? I am always surprised and it has never failed. I have never, ever once set up my typewriter and been disappointed. I've never Hmm. been let down or uh, I've always found the deepest connection in those moments. And people are clearly looking for that kind of reflection in the world. And that's, I think, where all the meaning comes in is that I'm listening to them tell me about what's going on in their life. They're choosing a subject based upon their own experience. And I'm reflecting that back to them uh, Hmm. imbued with meaning. And that's kind of what these poems are in that situation is I'm, I'm translating what they're going through and I'm adding this, you know, linguistic meaning to it so that then they can hear me recite their life back to them with this enriched kind of poetic lens added to it. And Mm. so it's, it's never something that has fallen short, which is also Mm. always incredible to me. It's, um, Mm -hmm. I would say that it says a lot about the human condition that like, Mm -hmm. no matter where I am in the world, I always say this part because it's just phenomenal to me, no matter what the demographic is, no matter what people are paying, no matter what people, you know, where they're from or what position they're in in life, they always ask for the same things. They're always going through the same things. They're either Mm -hmm. celebrating something, they're grieving something, they're longing for something, they're loving something and they want um, words about it. They want a mm. reflection. They want to connect about it. And language is our connection in that. And uh, I'm just the sitting duck who's kind of waiting there for them. And I'm holding up a mirror, which is a poem. Mm. Oh my, there's so much I want to unpack in that. And I, I'm sure as I go back through this, I'm going to have so many more questions, but <laughs> I just think about, you're right. You know, it's all, um, I was going to ask you, you know, what is it that we're all going through, but then you listed it. And it's really true. And I wonder if you ever find yourself in a moment of pressure, or I'm not sure what to say about this, or is it just that that connection, that 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 warmth between you and the other person generates that creativity and the knowledge of what words need to come? 
have you ever been at a loss for how to weave what they're looking for onto the page? I have never been at a loss in mm. 12 years. That's never happened. And wow. I, I think the reason why that's never happened is really because of what you're saying. There's this connection there. Um, and so whether I'm on the spot or I'm at home in my own studio responding to someone's email commission, there's this instantaneous connection that I have with their choice for what their mm-hmm. subject matter is. And I can feel the importance of it. And I would say, you know, on, on my own behalf, that there's a lot of empathy happening there and mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, like psychic quality to it. And then I mm-hmm. also would just say that there's this sense of, you know, being able to kind of have that mirror quality and knowing these experiences myself as a human. And so part of it is, you know, them and what they're offering and their energy and their eyes and what they're saying with their tone. But then there's also the fact that I am a human and I have gone through these things and I have longed for someone, or I have missed someone, or I have lost someone, or I have celebrated a great achievement or, you know, something that ties me to whatever it is they're asking for. Yeah. You know, I often talk about in my writing classes that, you know, writing is a, is a conversation. And so if you're writing for yourself and it all just sort of sits where you are, that's one thing. But if you're seeking to put it out in the world, you're really looking to have a conversation with people. And so through your writing, it is a connection. But I think when we publish and somebody's reading what you wrote, you know, miles away and you don't know that they're reading it. Yes, it's a conversation, but it's a distant one. And you hope one day to hear about it. But what I love about what you're saying is that this is a very immediate connection. It's very real. It's happening right now. There's a there's a give and take, which doesn't always happen when you put something into publication and it's out in the world and somebody else is, is digesting it. And, and that's incredibly special just to have knowledge of how it impacts somebody else and feedback and sort of that back and forth. That's very, very special. I'm, I'm just really blown away by that. As a writer, to be able to sit in front of your audience one-on-one and see the thing that you wrote just for them mm-hmm. affect them is undeniably like the most incredible and really unique experience. I mean, because really what you're saying is, yeah, I love to write books and mm-hmm. I will continue to write them for the rest of my life. And the thought of someone sitting in their room and you know, having their own private experience with what I've written is so beautiful. And I cherish that, but to see someone respond to the work I've created that is solely for them. And I haven't kept a copy of it. And I probably will never see that poem again. Hmm. It's sort of this, I don't know. There's something, a lot of times people will say like, why don't you keep the copies? Like, don't you want to know all these poems? And I, I really, that's one of my favorite parts. I really Mm -hmm. love to just let the poem be that person's poem and Mm -hmm. it's just for them. And I think that's such a unique aspect of this that honestly, when I, you know, started doing it, I never even thought about how wild that would be to experience seeing your audience as the single person and watching them respond and oftentimes weep. I never have sat down to do a performance with Poem Store without witnessing at least one person weep. And that Mm. to me is like, oh my gosh, this is just like the power of like language and connection being played out right before me. And I don't know what could be more hopeful or like what could be more, you know, fuel for my purpose than that. Oh, for sure. The vulnerability that they feel brave enough to share with you on the spot. It it shows the, the connection. It shows the, um, 
the safety in it as well. And it's interesting too, because poetry, I've always felt that poetry is very much about a moment in time, you know, this one scene, this one experience. And, you know, I, I like to compare it to, you know, like when you're writing a, a collection of poems, that might be your photo album from a trip, but each photo in there is a moment and a memory. And each poem is that, and they might come together and tell a whole story, but you're actually in those active moments. And that's all there is. And that's just, you know, amazing. It's just amazing. Because when you're sitting and writing a poem for yourself and going through many different drafts and revisions, it's really just this journey of, I want to finish something so I can publish it. But you are creating that memory and that that momentary stop and pause to just experience in the in the presence of another person. That's really cool. Yeah. And it's really cool to see how different those poems are. Like poems that I work on for a book over years and years are completely different than the poems that I write when I'm, you know, doing poem store. Yeah. And I love seeing that in a creative sense, like the lens on what refinement looks like and what spontaneity looks like and how both of those things are equally creative and vital. How has your revision process changed in light of doing poem store? you know, cause there's no opportunity for revision when you're just right there in the moment on the spot. So how has that informed your view of, you know, sort of the finessing of your work that you, that you sit with? I would say it's made me better at it. It's sort yeah. of, it's, I think it's even made me revere the editing process even more because hmm. I think that there, for me, when I'm writing these spontaneous improvisational poems, I feel this, a lot of people will be like, are you channeling something? Like what's happening? You know? And I do feel this sense of like, I don't know what I've written until it's done until Mm -hmm. I recite the poem to the person. I have no idea what's been on the page. It's like, as if I'm some kind of trance or something. Mm, Yeah. And I think to be able to go and refine a poem and edit a poem later I feel this other sense of divine presence or something like some old tool that says like, and now how can you make it even more accessible and now how can you enrich it even more? And so it's like this expansion of the initial feeling. Mm-hmm. So I think that I, like I said, I think I revere it even more now. I mean, obviously yeah. that's something I was taught to do in school was to edit. That's a big part of what it is to go to school for poetry is to learn this revision process and how to make yeah. your work better, whatever that means. Right. And so for me, that means how to make my work more accessible. And I think like having these moments with people quickly in person has just like enriched that process for me. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about your book, Every Day is a Poem. And so I have a few questions, but, um, you know, I think it's such a perfect fit for, I mean, I'm, I'm a poet, I'm a writer. And so of course I love speaking to writers and I love what you're doing, but this show is about making meaning and finding purpose. So this book is so perfect for that. Um, and you say in the book that meaning is a choice, which I really sat with after I read it. And, and I was thinking about how you take readers through this practice of assigning meaning to commonplace objects. So I want to read a little excerpt from the chapter um, where you do say meaning is a choice and then ask you a follow-up question. So if you'll indulge me a moment. You wrote, giving meaning to a commonplace object, does it offer you a memory? Does it connect you to something ancient and human? How can a spoon be sacred? 
And then you talk about writing with these personal definitions for the object and finding the value that's already overflowing in those common objects. And you say, quote, the infinite collection of meaning surrounds you. So I wonder if you could tell me how and why we can seek to ascribe meaning to objects and spaces we utilize every day. I mean, there are so many options, but it could almost be overwhelming. So where to begin with that? Well, I'd say you can begin randomly because that's probably what's easiest because it can be overwhelming, especially at this point in history where we're surrounded by so many objects and so many things constantly, whether they be like through the internet or in, in your home space or just in your circles of understanding the global expansiveness that we understand now. So I would say just at random, and that's kind of why I like to focus on something that's like in the room or in front of you. It just seems like an easier entry point. Yeah. But I think that sense of choosing something and then choosing what it means to you sort of is like this initial invitation to understanding your power as a human being. <laughs> because mm. I, to me, I think meaning is what sets us apart from all other creatures. <laughs> we mm. choose to say this is holy or this is sacred or this is uh, connected to God or this is connected to uh, everything that makes sense in my life because it's rooted in my family and my family is what means the most to me. Um, mm -hmm. And on and on, there's all these different examples of this, but humans, this is what we do in order to kind of connect the vast expanse of our brain's capacity to the everyday world, which is not always uh, kind or conducive to that expansiveness. I mean, I think yeah. it's especially as we grow as a species and like learn and keep uh, evolving, we are faced with even more of a challenge to sort of like root into the present moment and choose mm -hmm. something to be like, this is what means something to me. And it can be yeah. arbitrary. And I think my point about that choice is that it can change. And yeah. so like over time we are able to be like, okay, now I'm going to choose to shift this meaning. And I'm going to mm -hmm. choose to say, actually, like, this is what's sacred to me. And before it was this, and it looked like this, and now I've learned all of these things and I can apply all of that knowledge to this. And I think simplifying it and, and attaching it to everyday objects is like I said, just a good entry point. It's like a yeah calming way to kind of see how much power there is in doing that practice. Yeah. It elevates the moments. And what I love about the exercise is that it's, it's bringing it into people's consciousness because I don't know that we all notice the meaning we ascribe to something good or bad. Um, we just sort of do it, or maybe it's meaning that was given to us by parents or grandparents or someone, and we don't question it. And so in stopping in this chapter and, and making a choice, to choose meaning for something and whether it's a spoon or a book or something else is, is making you aware of the fact that you do have that choice, that it's within your control. Absolutely. And I kind of think that that's what poetry just does all on its own is mm. poetry is the thing that reminds you of that. It reminds you of your ability to, to notice and to yeah. be attuned to all of that. And whenever anybody asks me like, what is this book about? I'm always like, oh, it's just about cultivating a poetic mindset. 
It's not necessarily about writing a poem. It's about you like understanding after reading it, that you have all of these tools and all of this possibility and potential within you to like really imbue your life with incredible meaning and purpose. And it's a choice to do that. And it does take work to do that. But if you can train your mind to do it, you live such a more fulfilling and inspiring life. And that doesn't mean you write volumes of poetry, but it does mean you see the world in this really poetic and rich way. Yeah. Yeah. It's really beautiful. I I love that idea. And I I love that you're giving people the tools to make that choice. I, I love the idea of the poetic mindset so that even if you don't define yourself as a poet, you can adopt that and you can start to appreciate your world more or have more gratitude or just cultivate a sense of sight so that you notice that what the sun looks like this morning or, or the sound of the birds or whatever it might be. You know, I want to say, I want to go to your uh, chapter on purpose too, because I feel like that was really provocative. And one of the things you say in the book is that it's okay to not know your purpose and that um, a lot of people, you know, have it sort of within them, but it's waiting to be identified. And I was thinking about how we started this conversation, how you knew from such a young age that language was important to you and you were writing poetry before you knew what poetry was. I often work with with people to sort of get back to that younger part of themselves who knew who they were, but somehow it got cloudy as they grew older and there were expectations put upon them or career paths that they had to focus on. Is it indulgent? Is it is it very human of us to say, what's my purpose? I need to find it. Or can it be a simple thing like filling the world with more love and gratitude? Like that's enough. That can be the purpose. You know, I wonder, is it a big lofty thing or can it just be simple? Well, I think both, because I think that sometimes the further along you are in your work of, you know, expanding your mindset and, uh, you know, growing your selfhood and dipping into like different areas of knowledge, the more you will require of yourself. And that's why I'm always like, your purpose can also be refined over time. And mine certainly has, mine has certainly changed over the years as I've grown. And so I think that starting simple and small even is appropriate because Really, my overall view of this is that most people don't have time to think about these things. There is not time allotted or privilege allotted to most people to take all of these moments and add meaning and purpose to them because they're just literally trying to survive. It isn't actually necessarily hard to start seeing how meaningful everything is. Mm -hmm. I think once you hear a few sentences about it, there is this intrinsic quality in all human beings that's like, oh, I do know that because I do think that that is our greatest gift is to be able to do that. And I think everyone has that. It's it's, it's innate. And so I, I think that it just expands over time. It gets more complex the more you dip into it, but that it technically is something that's very simple and having this purposeful life doesn't have to look like, you know, this grand plan or something like that. It's just, you know, why do I do what I do? And maybe it starts small. Like I do what I do for my family. I love my family. And that's a very common, you know, human focus is Mm -hmm. what you do for your family. And then at some point when you feel like maybe you're more connected to these ideas and concepts, or maybe you've given yourself a little bit more uh, openness to see 
this beauty or this detail or this thing that's inspiring that's a little bit outside of your family or that affects your family or that is just for you even and private and personal, then there's like an inch of room to kind of grow and see that your purpose could actually extend outside of your family and your mm-hmm. family is actually like, <laughs> you know, a bigger and much bigger than you are. <laughs> I love that. No. And, and seeing the the ripple effect of, of, of that wider lens. And so you understand that what you're doing today could have so much impact down the road. And that's really beautiful. So tell me what's next for you. You know, what are you working on now? You've, you've created so many different avenues for your poetry and to connect with people and to bring language to people in meaningful ways. What's your vision? What are you, where, what's on the docket for the next year or two and where would you like to take it all? Well, I'm working on a new book of poems that's about consciousness and more of like what happens when you do get to that really big expansive place. Mm-hmm. And I think my idea behind that is just creating something that allows people to have that accessible exposure. I think I've spent so much time focusing on the daily experience that I allowed myself through the pandemic and a lot of isolation to go pretty deep into meditation and find a lot of language for these places that we don't have uh, consistent access to. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm excited to work on that. And then I've also been really into doing one-on-one sessions with people. Um, where I'm not just writing poems, but I'm guiding them through sort of like, I, I don't know, a creative problem or um, helping them, you know, balance their process or talk about a specific project they're working on. And sometimes that looks like editing and manuscript work. And I, I've gotten, I love working one-on-one p- with people, but I've gotten to a point with Poem Store where that's actually like not something I can do anymore. Um, in public, uh, yeah. after like a decade of that work, it started to wear on me psychically and physically. And sure. I was like, how can I shift this? And within the world of the pandemic, I've actually been able to connect with people online and do these sessions. And that feels like just kind of like another step in that same process of connection and reflection. And and really like, just as it was with Palm Store, I'm holding space I'm just listening and reflecting back in a poetic and deep way. And Mm -hmm. I think we just all need that from each other all the time. And it's sometimes really hard to access and find. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you could leave our listeners with a thought about poetry, you know, what is most important for us in the consciousness now to know about the role of the poem, um, about our ability to connect with poems? What, What message would you want to leave them with? I think that poetry has built up to this point in history to be kind of this conduit for very direct, condensed, concise language, which we need because Mm -hmm. for many reasons, uh, our attention spans are shorter. We have a lot less time to spend pondering philosophy and considering the depths, but that that is actually what we need to do as human beings to move forward. And poetry is just the perfect tool for that. It offers such micro moments that hold the macro. And that's really, I think, what the human brain requires in order to move forward right now, because there isn't a lot of time to pontificate and ramble and wonder, but that's actually how we exist and how we continue to grow as a species. So poetry is almost like this um, loophole 
where mm-hmm. language can kind of continue to do its work because I do see language being almost pushed out in a way, which is fascinating. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, in the grand scheme of our evolution, I'm open to whatever happens, but I do think like right now, poetry happens to be this key to like keeping us engaged with these deeper ideas, even though we don't really have time for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess our last question, I like to close episodes by asking my guests, what advice you might offer listeners about how they can go in pursuit of their purpose and find meaning to elevate their lives, you know, to take action today after they finish listening to this interview, what can they go and do um, to, to add more meaning and purpose into their lives? I really think it's helpful, like I said, to start with the room you're in and to kind of sit down and look around at your life and find an object and say, what does that mean to me? Why do I have that? What's the story behind that? Um, mm-hmm. We're in this like overwhelming material moment on earth. Yeah. And I think that our material, tangible objects in our homes actually are probably our closest connection to meaning sometimes. Mm. And we might not notice that because they're so (laughs) overwhelming and commonplace. (laughs) And like, you know, there, uh, there's a lot of volume there connecting to like why you love what you love can feel like a really big weight. But when you do it with like, you know, why did I choose this table? Why did Mm -hmm. I choose to buy this lamp? Why Mm -hmm. do I wear this shirt? Where did it come from? Who got it for me? Who made it? Do I know anything about this material that it's made out of? Uh, Do I know anything about how this lamp actually works? Like there's Mm -hmm. like this huge treasure trove um, that can open up the world just in your own Mm -hmm. home. And I love to offer that as a starting place because it's less, um, it seems less ambitious and it seems Mm -hmm. less um, academic. It seems just way more grounding and simple. And it Mm -hmm. also seems less lofty than being like, go outside and connect to this tree or to to nature. It's like, choose something human and be easy on yourself. And you'll actually find, I think that it is very innate and it's fun and it's interesting Mm -hmm. to see why you love what you love already. Like what is already full of symbology for you? What is already part of your mythology? What is like already uh, overflowing with significance? Because honestly, like your throw pillow probably says something about who you are. You just haven't asked yourself. And then outside of that is your purpose. And I think those two things are different. And I think, you know, connecting to your purpose can be more like, why do I do what I do? And I think that, um, like I said, can start really small with your family and then you can kind of go out from there. Hmm. Lovely. I love all of this. We will put a lot of things in the show notes and all the different places that people can find you. Jacqueline Suskin, I'm so thrilled to have you on the Make Meeting podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Um, so, Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.